Okay, praise be to our loving Father that we are again gathered together to study His words and His commandments. Now we will continue our study of the seven seals of the book of Revelation. We are now in chapter 6. Last week we talked about the fulfillment of the first seal, which is a rider on a white horse, and we determined that the fulfillment of that prophecy was the papacy because it was a competition amongst the bishops and the bishop of Rome won from the emperor the crown basically of having papal supremacy as head over all the churches and from there they continued to grow in power they conquered and continued to conquer and surpassing even the powers of the emperor themselves and so the papal supremacy and the powers were the fulfillment of the first seal the writer on the white horse and so today we'll talk about the rider on the red horse which is of course the second seal in the book of revelation 6 3 4 when he referring to yahushua opened the second seal i heard the second living creature saying come and see another horse fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. And so this is the next event that will take place after the papal supremacy was granted to the bishops of Rome. Bible says when the second seal is open, there is a horse again, but this time it's not white. What is the color of this horse? It is fiery red. So what we have so far in the second seal are the following items. Uh, there's a rider, there's a red horse that he rides upon, a great sword was given to him, and this event will lead people to kill one another and take peace from the earth. And so that's the summary of the second seal. Now, for us to properly interpret and understand the meaning and fulfillment of the second seal, I think it would do as well if we have something to compare it with. Just like last week, we're going to look at the last chronicles, According to the Facebook page, this last Chronicles webpage is published by the Iglesia Ni Cristo. And so what we find here is the interpretation of the Iglesia Ni Cristo concerning the second seal. Uh, those who are hardcore Iglesia Ni Cristo members, I think you would find the articles in this website very fascinating because they go in depth to certain ideas and beliefs that the Iglesia of Cristo espouses. So let's look at what we have to say concerning the fulfillment of the second seal. And so this is what they say. Let us now find out the events in the second seal and its fulfillment. What happened when the Lamb broke the second seal in the book of Revelation? And they quote Revelation 6, now 3 down to 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The explanation they give is, when the second seal was open, Apostle John saw a red horse. The horseback rider was given the power to take peace from the earth. His purpose was to kill, and he was given a large sword. What is this peace on earth that will be taken by the man riding on the red horse. And so what is the answer that they give? When the second seal was open, also John saw the red horse. What is this peace on earth that will be taken by the man riding on the red horse? And so from Revelation, they go to Romans chapter 5 verse 1. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace referred to is the peace with God made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so according to the interpretation of last Chronicles, the peace that will be taken away from the earth in Revelation chapter 6, the second seal, is peace not with man, but peace with God made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. And which is this peace with God that Apostle Paul mentioned? They cite Romans 5, 8 to 10, uh, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so their explanation, the peace being referred to, is the rescinding of God's wrath from his former enemies. The blood and death of our Lord Jesus Christ reconciled him with the Father. As to how peace was brought about by our Lord Jesus Christ, it was explained also by Apostle Paul. And they go on to say in Ephesians 2, 13, 17, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, love commandments containing ordinances, so as to create in himself one man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And so Apostle, the, the last Chronicles will further um, explain how this peace with God is obtained. It is through Yahushua the Christ who created in himself the one new man. So by his death and by his blood and by the one new man, there is his peace between mankind and God in heaven. So they conclude basically by saying if the first century church suffered from great persecution, the apostate church became the persecutor, driven by its ambition to become a powerful, universal, quote unquote, church in the succeeding period of time. The Catholic church carried out the Inquisition to persecute everyone who did not accept the doctrines and authority within the domain of the empire. The message of the red horse is not clear. After the true members of the first century church were wiped out, apostasy of the, the early church followed. It is the reason why the blessed peace of God was also lost. So according to the explanation of the Iglesia Ni Cristo, the first century church of Christ turned away by means of apostasy. It became the Catholic church who used its power to persecute and to kill those who would not agree to their faith. And because they believed the true church was no longer in existence, they believed because of this, the blessed peace with God was also lost. According to INC interpretation, the writer of the Red Horse in the second seal of Revelation was fulfilled in the complete apostasy of the first century church, which led to the removal of peace with God on earth. So let's go ahead and test this explanation to see whether or not it's actually what the Bible is telling us. Let's go back to Revelation 6, read out before. We read this already twice. 
not going to read it again, but the Bible says this rider on the red horse is going to take peace from the earth. And so what does that mean? That peace will be taken from the earth because of the rider of this red horse. Let's look at the Greek word used, which is translated in English here, peace. In Greek, the word used is Irene. The Greek word 1515, according to Strong's Concordance of the Holy Bible, and according to biblical usage, this, these are the following definitions. State of national tranquility, exemption from the rage of habit of war, peace between individuals, security, safety, prosperity of the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace of Christianity, the tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation, the blessed state of devout and upright men after death. And so what we find here, and when we use, you know, like blue letter Bible, when we use a concordance, the way it works is it gives us a definition, the Greek word, right? And it tells us how it is translated in the Bible throughout its pages. And so when we, use, when we look at the Greek word I read, it has different definitions depending on how it's used in the passage, okay? So sometimes it could mean the following, a state of national tranquility. For example, right now, are we living in a state of national tranquility? If not, then you have no peace. Are we feeling secure and safe and is it prosperity and felicity, there's peace and harmony in our country today or within our environment? If not, then we have no peace. So that's one way uh, peace is defined uh, by the, the word Irene. However, it can also mean the Messiah's peace, which is the way that leads to the peace of salvation, meaning the rescinding of the wrath of Yahuwah God, which was mentioned by Apostle Paul in Romans uh, chapter 5. So how will we know which definition of peace is appropriate? It's all about context. This is why when we look at Revelation 6, 3-4, when it mentions take peace from the earth, is the peace referred to their peace with God? But when you look at the context, that's not what it says. Because when you look at the context, when it says take peace from the earth, what does the context say? Because people will kill one another, and this person will be given a great sword. And so because people will kill one another, and the person has a great sword, there is peace. There's no peace, or peace is taken away from the earth. So just looking at Revelation 6, 3 down to 4, it is impossible that what is referred to there of, about the peace that will be taken from the earth is about peace, with God. That's not what the context says. The context, when we look at the passage itself, without adding or subtracting from the whole Bible, based on the context, right, the definition of peace uh, that we need to adhere to is a state when there's a no longer a state of national tranquility, when there's no security and safety and prosperity and felicity. It's not speaking about a relationship with God, but a relationship with mankind and a lack of peace brought about by terror and violence and war, so on and so forth. But how does First Chronicles um, get away with the understanding that it is peace with God? Well, when they ask the question, what is this peace on earth that will be taken by the man riding 
on the red horse, that's Revelation, they jump to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and from Romans 5, verse 1, they go peace with God. However, even, you know, first of all, there's no reason for them to jump from Revelation 6 to Revelation 5. There's no connection there whatsoever. Because if it was peace of God or peace with God, it should have been mentioned in Revelation 6. It was not mentioned. It just mentions peace, and its context is peace with man, because the absence of it is people killing one another. And so in, in Romans 5, verse 1, they the Apostle Paul defines peace with God by being as being justified by faith, and so released from the wrath of God. And the way this peace with God is obtained is through who? Yahusha the king. And so in Romans 5, 1, let's read the passage. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So how is peace with God obtained? It is through our Lord Yahushua Christ. Specifically, it is through his death. And so by his death, even people who are sinners, people who are not worthy of salvation at all because of the blood of our King Yahushua, which was shed on Mount Calvary when he died on the cross, we have been reconciled. And so reconciliation with Yahuwah is the peace with God that Yahusha purchased for us. And so peace with God can only be taken away when Yahusha is no more. Peace with God can only be taken away when the source of that peace with God is no longer valid. Question, who is the source of our peace with God? Who's the source? Is it Yahusha or the church of Yahusha? Who is the source of peace with God? Is it the church or is it Yahusha? It is Yahusha. The church are the beneficiaries of the peace of God by means of Yahusha. So there's a big difference there. Because what INC is claiming, or the last Chronicles is claiming, because the church was apostatized, no longer do we have peace with God. That is wrong. The only way for peace with God to be removed from the earth is if Yahusha himself apostatized. How many will dare say that Yahusha apostatized? No way, right? Who is the source of peace with God? It is our King Yahusha. So long as our King Yahusha is still sitting at the right hand of Abba, we have peace with God. The moment Yahusha will apostatize, which was never going to happen, that's when the peace of God is going to be removed. This is why we need to have a proper understanding of how we obtain peace with God in the first place. It is through the completed work of Yahushua on the cross. And this peace of God is avail was available ever since he died and resurrected. In John 16, 33, he says, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so that peace with God is always available. 
It was always available after the death and resurrection of our king, Yahushua. It was available in the first century, the second century, the third century, the fourth century, and the fifth century, all the way up until the present and beyond. Because so long as our king, Yahushua, remains at the right hand of Abba, that peace with God cannot be removed. You get it? This is why it's wrong to conclude in Revelation 6, 3 to 4, this rider on a red horse will invalidate what Yahushua has done? Impossible! Who can invalidate what Yahushua has done? Certainly not this rider on the red horse. This is why when we look at Revelation 6, 3 to 4, it does not mention peace with God, does it? What does it say? It just says peace. And so if you were to add peace with God, then that's adding to the book of Revelation, right? But we're not supposed to do that because our king says, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him uh, the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. This is why we do not dare add peace and then with God. It doesn't say that. We keep it as is. Take peace from the earth. And we know what that peace with the earth refers to. It's about that sense and feeling of tranquility, safety, because there's an absence of violence taking place in the world. That's the peace referred to. They're not peace with God, which cannot be taken away by this writer on the red horse. And so we know this is the second, the second seal is not, has nothing to do with the peace with God. And so what is the fulfillment then of the second seal? Well, we know the fulfillment of the first seal took place in 534 AD. And so we must believe that the second seal event must have taken place after 534 AD, because after all, it is the second seal, right? It comes, I mean, it's, it's, it will, it's likely that it's sequential, because one, two, three, four, five, all the way to seven is sequential. So the first seal was fulfilled in 534 AD. The second seal will take place after the 534 AD event. Let's go ahead and look at what could this possibly mean. Let's look at Revelation 6, 3 down to 4. Again, the rider on the, the red horse and he's given a sword. And so when we look at the reason for our lack of peace, we know peace is taken from the earth because people will kill each other, right? You see, you see that there. And the rider is given a great sword. And so when you put that together, you have a great sword, you have people killing each other, peace taken away from the earth. What comes to mind? What comes to mind? Probably war, right? So is it war? Is war being referred to in Revelation chapter 6, uh, verses 3 down to 4, or the second seal of the book of Revelation? Well, we have to keep in mind, I mean, we, we should, we're going to test this to see whether or not it's referring to war, but there's something we need to understand about the seal events that we will discover, because when we look at the fulfillment of other seal events, they share many things in common, like, for example, unprecedented and significant events in history. Just like when the church or the bishop of Rome 
was granted through the Justinian Code, papal supremacy, the birth of the papacy was what happened next. And we know that's significant, right? Not only is it significant, it also influences the course of history. Because not only was the papal, the people's supremacy, something that is of significant, a significant event in history, it also paved the way to new ideas and new systems of worship. And it influenced um, many people in their understanding of faith and about Christ and about God. And so it gives birth to new ideas, philosophies, and systems that of course affect the world even today. Is it true that the papacy still affects the world even today? Yeah, all right? And so those are seen events. It takes place, it's significant, unprecedented, right? Influences the course of history, gives birth to new ideologies, philosophies, systems, and ways of thinking about things. So that's the sealed event. So when we look at Revelation 6, 3 to 4, we know it has to be an event that is unprecedented and it will impact society since its inception. And so when we look at what this event could possibly mean, the first thing we need to examine and put to the test is what was given to the writer of this red horse, which is a great sword. And so you're probably thinking in your mind, right, great sword, probably some kind of very large weapon, weapon for warfare. But it turns out when you look at the Greek word that is translated sword, in this passage, it is the Greek word makaira from the Strong's Concordance Greek number 3162, which actually means a large Knife used for killing animals and cutting up flesh. So that's the primary definition of makaira. It is really just a large knife. A large knife is not used at all when it comes to warfare. So this tells us that whatever this event is, it probably is not war because what is given is just a large knife. And it's not for the purpose of warfare. In contrast to another scene event, in Revelation 6, 7 to 8, the fourth seal, uh, we're going to talk about that next time, not today. But when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. Power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword. And so here we have the, uh, the word sword again. And just like in Revelation 6, 3 to 4, the word sword is also used. And so when we compare the two swords, one in the, sec the second seal and the sword of the fourth seal, they're vastly different. How are they different? Although they're both translated sword in English, in Greek are two completely different, and dare I say, opposite words. Because the word sword in the fourth seal is the Greek word 4501, rompaya, which means a large sword. The first one, the second seal, it was a large knife. This one, it is a large sword. So when we compare the meaning of revelations of the two swords, one in the second seal, one in the fourth seal, they're different. A large knife, which is what it actually means when it mentions sword, 
that is used not for war, but the Greek word used for the fourth seal, that is used for war. So something to keep in mind. But not only that, there's another reason why we don't think and believe Romans 64, the second seal event, pertains to war. What is that? The Bible gives us another clue. It mentions here that people should kill one another. And the word kill in this passage, the second seal, is the word spazzo. Greek word 4969. The word spazzo means to slay, to slaughter, to butcher by violence. And so this is not, this is more specific type of killing. It's a type of killing that will leave in your imagination fear because of how it was done. Butchering and slaughtering by violence. In fact, the word kill, spazzo, that's used in the second seal of Revelation is used 10 times in the New Testament. In all 10 cases, this word is not used to mean kill in war, but kill on an individual level. It is used not in wars, not in massacres, but in homicidal situations. And so there must be a reason why spazzo is used. And another word, I mean, because it, it, it engages the imagination when you hear the word butcher and violence, right, it suggests, because of the word spazzo, it implies the use of terror and violence to bring about death. Okay, so it's very different from the word killing that is used elsewhere in Scripture. For example, in Revelation 19, which is about the, the war to end all wars, which will be led by Mashiach, it mentions a war. It also, it also mentions killing by a sword, right? The word sword used there, and the word killing used there is not spazzo. The word slay or killing is the word apopeno, which means to kill in any way whatsoever. And so the type of killing in Revelation 6, 3 to 4, the second seal, it is specific. Violence, butcher, but the kind of killing in Revelation 19, is more general, killing by any means whatsoever. And so we can see the differences here between the second seal and the fourth seal. In the second seal, uh, the, the word kill, spezzo, is used. And a large knife is used. Both spezzo and the large knife that is used in the second seal does not apply to war. But what applies to war is different. Instead of the large knife, it is the large sword. Instead of the spezzo, it is apopeno. This is why Revelation 19, just like in the fourth seal, it pertains to war. But in Revelation 6, 3 to 4, in the second seal event, it appears it is different from an actual war. Remember, when we define war, there's a definitive difference between two combatants, right? You can tell the differences between two nations, one against the other. But the words sword and kill and the second seal are not used in war situations. So, so far, we have two reasons why we don't believe it's war. Because of the word sword, the word kill that was used in the second seal. There's a third reason why we don't believe it is a war event. What is that? Well, it mentions here, it, it will take away peace 
from the earth, and that people should kill one another. That phrase, one another, in Greek is alielon, which means what? One another reciprocally, mutually. In other words, there is killing taking place mutually, reciprocally, in the same place. And so there's no distinction made between one enemy and the other. There's no distinction made between one nation or another nation, or one group and another group. The fact that Al-Yalon is used in the second seal, it shows us that the event that unfolded in the second seal is either a situation in which fellow citizens of the same country are harming each other, or a situation in which allies and enemies are not distinguishable from each other. And so it cannot be a war event, because when it comes to a war event, there's a clear distinction between the enemy and those who are fighting alongside you, okay? And so the second event, the second seal event, is clearly not war by the clues given to us by the Holy Scripture. So if it's not war, what could it be? Well, we know it basically produces the same effect of war, which is a lack of peace, right? But the cause of it is not war. Yeah, war and this event will produce the same effect, a lack of peace. But what kind of event is it? Well, when we look at the word peace again, which we looked at earlier, the word Irene, remember? It means, it can mean several, it can have all these different definitions, but by the context, it tells us the lack of peace is a lack of a state of national tranquility, a lack of security, safety, prosperity, or felicity, uh, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. And so a country or a nation is feeling unsafe and there's no peace and harmony within its borders. And so that's the meaning of peace. And earth, it turns out the Greek word for earth, it, the one used is G, 1093, which can also mean arable land, but I think what is more applicable within the context is a country land enclosed within fixed boundaries, a tract of land, territory, or region. And so when we put the two together, the meaning of peace and the meaning of earth, in the Greek, using the Greek that was used, basically what this is telling us is this event, right, this event, which is not a war, is going to cause a country that has a fixed boundary to lose its state of national tranquility, security, safety, prosperity, and felicity. And so something is telling us, something is robbing the sense of peace and safety within the borders of a nation. So the great sword given in the second seed event clearly will manifest as an object of terror, right? to nations as well as everywhere living on the earth. And so if it's not war, it's not war, then what could it be? Well, I'm going to reference here um, a book. The name of the book is The Apocalyptic Timeline in the Book of Revelation, um, written by Andronicus Johnson, Caleb Lee, and Azaria Stephan. I recommend, if you have time, to look at this book. Now, it doesn't mean that we, when we recommend that you read a book, it doesn't mean that I agree with everything that they said. They, they um, conducted very in-depth 
um, research concerning historical events. And we're going to be referring to the research of historical events and comparing them to what the Bible is telling us. And this person had in-depth research concerning the rise of terrorism. And according to them, the interpretation, I'm quoting from the book, okay, the interpretation of the second seal would be the birth of terrorism ensued from the legalization of jihad of Islamic doctrines. Terrorism, or jihad, was first established by Islamic caliphates and has continued to be the defining characteristic of extreme, not all, right, because majority really, and most of Islam are people who promote peace, right? But there are extreme Islamic groups that shape the world today who adopt this concept of jihad. Now, what is jihad all about? And can we test this idea that the second seal and its fulfillment was fulfilled in the birth of terrorism through the legalization of jihad of Islamic doctrines? Can we test this? Well, what's jihad? Again, referring to the same book, jihad is classified into two kinds in general, or two kinds of jihad. Do you know that? What does that mean? Well, there's the inner and the outer. The inner jihad is also called greater jihad, as it is the inner spiritual effort. The outer jihad is called lesser jihad, and it's our physical struggle against the infidels. Okay? The inner jihad refers to the Muslim striving against one's own lusts in daily life in order to fulfill their religious duties in living out their beliefs. The outer jihad refers to warfare against the enemies of Islam. So jihad is like holy war, it's warfare, right? There's two kinds, there's inner and outer. Inner warfare or inner jihad is about battling your temptations, battling your flesh. That's why it's called inner. You want to battle the things which are against um, the ideas of God, okay? And so that's the inner jihad. There's also outer jihad. Now, outer jihad is not warfare within, but warfare against quote-unquote infidels, okay? So those are the two different kinds of jihad. So, and this is all based, you know, everything that Muslims adopt, the ideas, they want, it's based on their interpretation of the sacred book, which is, the Quran. Of course, more and more people as they study the book of the Quran, just like people today who study the book of the Bible, they have different interpretations. People who study the book of the Quran, they also have different interpretations. And there are people, for example, back when when Muslim was was when it emerged and was starting out, one notable philosopher was Muhammad ibn al Hassan al Shaibani. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But it's written there for you. Towards the end of, this is again from the book, uh, written by Johnson, the Apocalyptic Timeline. Towards the end of the 8th century, uh, the father of Muslim international law wrote Introduction to the Law of Nations, in which he dealt with the general rules and principles governing Islam's foreign relations. In Shaibani's work, however, jihad was not an unconditional aggressive action towards unbelievers outside the time of war. So at, at, when it first appeared, right, when the idea of jihad became known to the Muslim world, its purpose was not unconditional aggressive action towards unbelievers outside the time of war. Okay? So 
if there was a time of war, of course, outer jihad is at war. But if there's no war taking place between nations, it's only inner jihad. So the unbelief in Islam, like when people don't believe in Islam, right? You reject the Islamic faith or the Muslim faith. Unbelief in Islam was not sufficient reason to wage an outer jihad against them. Early jurist stance was that outer jihad should take place only when there's conflict. Conflict breaks out between Muslim and unbelieving forces. In other words, the early legislation did not condone the use of outer jihad in the time of peace between Islamic and non-Islamic countries. And so there was no granting of this great sword. You see that? When the, the Muslim faith first emerged and the idea of jihad was developed and proclaimed at the early outset of that ideology, it was not given, it was not condoned to use outward jihad at that time. Okay, this was towards the end of the 8th century. But in just a short amount of time, what eventually happened at the start of the 9th century? Well, but the change came with Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi, who first established the doctrine that war should take place not only when unbelievers are in conflict with Islam, but for the very reason that they are unbelievers. You see the difference, right? Since then, jihad became a collective duty and Muslims had to kill whatever and wherever they found unbelievers. Such doctrine was founded on the Quran as in the following. And when the sacred months passed, then kill the polytheists, uh, wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit in wait for them at every place of ambush. And so, something happened at the turn of the 9th century or in the eight, in 800 AD according to a different interpretation of the Quran it's now legal according to the Quran it's now legal to carry out outward jihad even if there's no war right this is why at that point at the turn of the century, 800 AD, that was when the writer of the Red Force was granted this great sword, an object of warfare, of a terror, which is what it represents, to take peace from the earth, to take this feeling of, of uh, peace and safety and uh, prosperity away from a country which caused people to kill one another, even if they belong to the same country. And this is how terrorism works. It doesn't matter what country you are in. You know, terrorism is also functioning in Islamic countries, for example. Okay, so it, it has nothing to do with warfare. It's all about the application of jihad according to the new interpretation that was brought about in the ninth uh, century. And so, this happened about 767 820, and it first established the doctrine that was 
interpreted as being founded on the Quran. And so this is why the authors of this book claim that the interpretation of the second seal would be the birth of terrorism ensued from the legalization of jihad Islamic doctrines. And so when we look at all the reasons why it's not pertaining to war, right, it makes sense. It's not war, but it is a legalization. It's the go-ahead signal for you to practice outward jihad, even if there is no war, which is why the effect is the same. A lack of peace, people killing one another because of this great sword, which is not used for war. And so this, of course, had an effect not only during 800 AD, but onwards even to this present time, right? Because terrorism is still terrorizing many countries and nations throughout the world today. And so when we look at the characteristics of seen events, it's unprecedented and significant. It influences the course of history. It gives birth to new ideas, philosophies, and systems that affect the world even today. It checks all the boxes. And so when we test that, we find there's a match. But of course, we will continue to test and look at other possible outcomes or other possible explanations. So far, what we have in our studies concerning the first two seals of Revelation, the first seal was the establishment of the papal supremacy and powers, 534 AD, which was given to the Roman pontiff, basically the establishment of the papacy. The second seal built of terrorism for the legalization of jihad in Islamic doctrines, which took place 800 AD or thereabouts. Okay? And so we have the time sequence. And so once we finish all the sea events, we will see the, the timeline and we will see how one leads to the following. Okay, so when we finish all the different sea events. And so we know we, today, when we look at the condition of the world today, there's a lack of peace, right? And it's not just because of terrorism, but also because of natural disasters, because of a failing economy but also because of war and looming war. Potentially there could be world war, number three, that could be taking place soon because of what's happening between China and Taiwan, the US, Ukraine and Russia, um, Islamic nations and Israel. And so all these events that kind of are falling into place. And at the same time, you have sickness that is of the caliber of COVID you have all these events of natural disasters and climate-related um, change and climate-related um, disasters. When you factor all that in, do you know what that's telling us? This lack of peace in the world today is telling us something great is about to happen, right? Something that will make us so, so filled with joy. This is why we started out our studies today by telling you Yahweh is watching out over us and that he will be the one to give us a reason to smile again because with what is happening in the world today no one's smiling at the moment but soon very soon something is gonna happen and so even if there's a sense of lack of safety what should we always keep in mind and remember especially when we feel overwhelmed let's read one more passage before we pray together in the book of John 1633, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, the one speaking to here is our King, our Mashiach, Yahushua himself. And he's telling us, in me, you have peace. When Yahushua says, in me, you have peace, that covers all the peace. He surpasses, the peace that surpasses all understanding it is the physical peace, the peace, the spiritual peace, emotional peace. You can find all of that in Yahushua. And Yahushua is telling us something that we must believe and hold on to. What is that? He says you will have great tribulation. Sometimes when people go through tribulation, they lose hope. Sometimes when people go through testing of faith, when they become sick, when there's trouble in their household, when there are problems of different kinds, maybe financial burdens that they carry. When people face adversity, they lose hope. They say to themselves, what's the point of living? But always keep in mind what our King Yahushua says. He says, yes, in this world you will have tribulation. But he also said, be of good cheer. Why? Because he says, I have overcome the world. Yes, there's the rider of the first horse, the second horse, the third horse, the fourth horse. Yes, there will be the coming events depicted by the seven seals of the book of Revelation. Yes, there will be events all over the world that will bring a lot of pain and suffering in the lives of many people. But Jesus says, we can still be a good team. If we will make him our king, our master, we can also overcome the world because when we follow our King Yahushua, it doesn't matter what happens in the world or what is happening in the world. We will have good cheer because we place our hope and our trust in the one who has overcome the world. He has overcome the world and everything will take place. And so brethren, let us continue to fix our eyes on our King, our loving Mashiach, Yahushua. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and everlasting Father, thank you, Yahuwah Abba, for blessing us with hope. When people have turned their backs on you, when people have relied on human strength, ability, and strength, many have fallen into great tribulation that they are unable to overcome. Father in heaven, because we are your sons and daughters, we choose to fix our eyes upon you. You are our God, our almighty Elohim, who loves and cares for each and every one of us. We know in this life we will face many troubles, but you have given us your son. And so thank you so much. We have every reason to be happy, to be filled with joy, every reason to be of good cheer, because we know soon you will send your beloved son, and we shall receive our salvation. Our King Yahushua, while we have time, teach us not only to learn and grow in faith, but to share our faith. May we be your instruments and spokesperson to proclaim you as Lord and Master, to proclaim that you were the one who died and was resurrected that we might be justified in our faith. Please, loving King, we need your help now. We will remember and hold on to your promise. When tribulations hit us the hardest, we will turn to you. We will look to you. 
we will pray to you. We will remember what you said, that we must be of good cheer as human beings. There are limits to what we can do. Sometimes it's easy for us to give up. Do not permit this to happen to us. When we are at our lowest point in life, when we look to you, when we sit by your feet, when we worship you and seek your comfort, please lend us your strength. For we believe that you have overcome the world and that your strength and power can course into our lives as well. Please be with us every day. May our faith continue to grow until the very end. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers tonight. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen.